This is the Game of Life podcast, and I'm your host, Sophia Day. My guest this week is Bert Schepler. Bert is a games blogger on his personal website, Bert.Games, where he's reviewed and previewed over 200 tabletop games. On his blog, he also interviews indie game developers and writes about his own indie game development process. Please enjoy my conversation with Bert Schepler. Welcome to the show, Bert. Thanks for having me. How many tabletop games have you played in total? I don't have a number for that. It's, it's a lot. What do you think it is? Do you think it's over or under 200? Oh, probably well over that. And how many games do you own? I think last time I counted, about 190 are on the shelf right now. Where do you even store these games? (laughs) Well, we're lucky enough to move into a house where we have a game room area in the house. So got some of those uh, Calic shelves that everybody likes from Ikea, put them up, got uh, everything settled in. And some of them leak out into the office, but for the most part, they're all in one room. You write a very prolific blog. So what motivated you to start this blog? Well, it's kind of almost a New Year's resolution. I was saying to myself, all right, this year, I'm not going to buy any board games until I play all the games I have. And then I started writing about that as I was doing it. That quickly evolved into around about pandemic time that stopped because we were uh, not able to play games in person anymore. Couldn't really make my way through the collection too easily. I started playing a lot of games online and then started reviewing stuff, just writing about games that we were playing online and new games coming up that I was able to get a preview of around summer of 2020. I started following more design stuff and talking to designers and got into uh, previewing and reviewing newer games that just wasn't off my shelf. Have you been a lifelong game player and has it only been physical tabletop games? I would say yeah, a lifelong game player. I remember my grandfather teaching me bridge at one point and playing card games and parlor games like that. We actually started playing more complex board games like Risk and stuff like that, family family game night. Then around about high school, I started getting into things like Axis and Allies and role-playing and things started uh, spiraling out of control as it were. I actually played a game called Manowar and it's a fantasy ship game with miniatures. And I was like, this is great. I want to play this day in and day out now. And it really got my gears turning to, oh, there's all kinds of board games and stuff like this out there. Now that you've written over 200 reviews, what's that testing and review process like? It's easier than when I started. I don't want to say I'm like building a formula here, but in the way I approach it is more formulaic, I would say. Can you share a little bit more? Sure. I'll read the rules two or three times before I sit down and play it. Just kind of grasp what's going on in the rule book. See how understandable the rule book is. Sometimes you read a rule book and you're like, I still don't know what I'm doing. So you read it a couple of times and then play the game a few times and see maybe I can play it in a different strategy style or see how it plays in different. If it's an asymmetrical game, like if I play a different role, does that change how the game experiences for you? That kind of thing. Do you tinker around to... yourself first? Because I presume some of these games have multiple players. So oh, yeah. how do you go about that? And then who do you play with? Uh, my my uh, good friends, most of them are actually from high school that are in my game group. They will attest that I often unleash them as guinea pigs on some of these things. And I get them involved a lot, actually. They're really receptive to it and they have a lot of good feedback while we play. To you, what makes a tabletop game good? 
And the flip side of that is what makes a tabletop game not that good? Well, that's a tricky question. I think what makes a tabletop game good is answered by a question. Did you have fun? You know, tabletop games are played on a table. So be it an actual board on the table, or you can do it all in your head, or you can have miniatures on the table or whatever. It's all about like a group of people sitting around a table, enjoying some tactile fun, and really just having a good time. And if you had fun, it was a good game. You can have fun playing a really simple game of rummy or point salad or something like that, and have a really good time with your friends. And that's a good game. Or you can play this really engrossed eight-hour game of Twilight Imperium and also a fun game. Completely different things, but fun and both good games. Are there any things that make games more good or more fun, though? Because I guess you could say, well, if you're playing with people you really like, you're probably going to have fun. Yeah, for sure. So then where does the game design or the component come into play of why it's more fun or why it's more X, intriguing, creative? Yeah, and I think part of having fun with your group of friends is that is the game feel natural? Sometimes there's games that don't feel natural when you're playing it. You're like, I don't even understand why I'm doing this. It doesn't make sense in in respect to everything going on around it. I think that can make an experience bad for people. And I guess you could call the game bad if you wanted. But when I do reviews, I try not to do good, bad, not the silver kind of thing. Yeah, you don't have a rating. I, no, I, I specifically did not put a rating on the games. And I don't want to enumerate the games for people because I don't think just because this is rated 10 is good for everybody. If I rated Twilight Imperium 10 out of 10, I don't think that's going to be a good introductory game for someone. That's <laughs> going to be a huge rules-based game. Fun for me, but maybe not fun for you. I, I just try to, when I'm doing my reviews, try to match between people and games. That way people can walk away having fun. And that's that's the whole point of games, right? Is to have fun. At this point, what does it take for a game to leave a big impression on you where you say, whoa, that was really different than something I've seen or whoa, I'm still thinking about that game. I really like theme and immersion. So a game with a huge theme where you're playing it and all the different things you do in the game that they, they just works seamlessly like you're playing the game and it, it just feels so smooth like oh i would think you would do this naturally it makes remembering the rules easier and you don't get bogged down in the hold on let me look that rule up in this 20 page booklet over here and then we can start playing again something like that where it's just so immersive and plays so smoothly that that's what catches me these days Speaking of learning instructions or rules, that seems to be a very high bar for some games. Some games have very complicated instructions. Do you go back and play games that you previously played before? How does that work? Because I imagine one playthrough or two playthroughs, I don't know, maybe for you, you basically get it, but I wonder if you get more out of the game sometimes after a revisiting. For sure. I totally agree. I just uh, this afternoon played a game that I hadn't played in a long time and I was like, oh, really into it now. The first time I played it, it was okay, but now playing it again, I get how this is put together. I've noticed that some games have blown up really widely with mass popularity. And some examples that come to mind are Code Names and Card Against Humanities, both of which you could call party games. 
is there something special about those games or do you think part of it is also marketing or contagion of just people enjoying the game i think code names would fall under the category of it's a solid game and it's an easy to learn game and then they they've taken it and then applied ip to it as well so there's the disney version of code names or the marvel version you really start getting that mass market interest into it cards against humanity that's kind of guerrilla marketing where they do that black friday thing every year where they're like pay money and we'll keep digging a big hole or something do you get so, surprised if there's any games that have become super popular and which ones are they I guess Wingspan surprised me. I didn't realize people were into birds so much. It's kind of awesome to have a, a female designer do Wingspan and it becomes so popular. I actually just played it for the first time at Gen Con this year and it lived up to the hype. It was a good game. So you're playing bird cards and collecting eggs, essentially, and you got to collect the food to feed the birds. There's a lot to learn about birds themselves in the game. And what makes it do you think so fun? It's a really good looking game and it's got these eggs and stuff and all the little chips for the different bugs that you can eat. I noticed, especially when I was at Gen Con, there's like a whole booth of different tokens that you can buy for this game. So you can get any bird you've ever thought of and use that in the game somehow. There's like the collector people who are like into collecting everything there is about something or hooked into it. And then it's an easier game to learn and it's got some depth to it too. So mm. you kind of hit that sweet spot. Are there any indie games, upcoming games that you would predict can become quote unquote big? There's a game I reviewed earlier this year, Distilled. That, that game had a big Kickstarter and I think it's really going to have a long life after that. It's a game about uh, owning a distillery and creating spirits. And it's more on the complicated side, but the rules are pretty solid. And I think that there's no other, well, there are a couple other distilling games out there, but this is into it, like the production and how it happens. And I think that's very interesting to people. And it's in a unique position that not a lot of other games can take advantage of. So I guess you we learn about distillery. And yeah, alcohol and like is different that what spirits. It is? Yeah, okay, very different. cool. And they have like global expansions too, so you can add in spirits from Africa or the Middle East or something like that. I want to talk about game design because you have a part of your blog dedicated to that. The first part that I've noticed is you have a whole section on game mechanics. Can you share what is a game mechanic to start? Yeah, sure. So game mechanics are how the game works. So like you can have many mechanics in a game and the more you add the more they interplay and that is what can make or break like we we're talking good games and bad games earlier if the mechanics don't all work together and it's real clunky it's it's not as fun it sounds if like everything works smooth then it's great it sounds like there's easier game mechanics and harder game mechanics so what's an example of an easy game mechanic and what's an example of a harder game mechanic Easier ones are like set collection. We, a lot of people play rummy or poker or something like that. And they understand if I get three of something, it, it's better than having two of something. Or I need to get five of something to win. So that's super easy, intuitive game mechanic. And you can add that into a lot of games. 
Things like deck building are a little more complicated because that takes set collection and amps it up a lot. So now you're like building sets within sets and you're starting to try to think how things are going to interplay in your deck that you're building as you're doing it. In the example of Star Realms, you're also thinking about what is that other player taking off the table that I can't have or should I be taking something off that they can't have? And it kind of escalates the set collection to a whole another level what are some examples of your favorite game mechanics in games oh my favorite just because i've been talking about deck building star realms is definitely one of my favorite go-to games and i used to play a lot of magic back in the day and i loved it and then i couldn't keep up with it because like you would just have to keep buying and buying and buying more cards you need an investment strategy to go with your (laughs) game strategy The other part of your blog where you talk about designing games is where you interview other game designers. From those conversations, have you been made to rethink what you know about board games? I would say it made me think more about the community of board game designers. It's an interesting group of people. It's not like any other professional group I've been part of. Everybody is super eager to help you out. You can post a question like, hey, I'm having trouble making this work. Here's the two things that are trying to work together and people will help you figure it out. For a while there, there was a running around creating like 3D images of your box just because they wanted to just doing it. It's a very tight knit, not like exclusive, but tight knit, like they're taking care of each other. And they're, it's, it's an awesome group to be part of because everybody's super open. I've reached out to a couple of game designers. I thought, oh, this guy. <laughs> This person will not talk to me, but why not? I'll ask. And boop. Oh yeah, sure. I'll do an interview with you. Do you think talking to other game designers makes one design games better? Yeah, I think it helps you in thinking about how to design games for sure. And talking to other game designers, especially if you're getting into like self-publishing or kickstarting your own game, that's a whole nother slew of skills that you're going to need. And there's a whole lot of people out there who are good at it and will help you. It's interesting. You design a game and you're like, well, I have 28 cards in my deck for my game. And these can be like, man, if you could drop one of those cards and only make it 27, you save a whole sheet of cards in printing and you're going to save so much money on the back end. Just little tips and tricks along the way that can affect your design production or just in the way you put two systems together in your game too. What are your aspirations for designing games? Uh, I would like to get some of them published for sure. I have I started out with Meowy Catmas, which is a card game based on uh, Christmas and cats and like the cats climbing up the Christmas tree as they do, knocking stuff off the tree. I read that story. <laughs> I actually read that and it's so funny. It is 100% true. I even think I put the picture of the cat in the tree. Is that one you would love to get published or are there other ones that you're working on? That one would be the easiest to get published for sure out of what I got going now. There's one I have, I'm a network engineer by day and I have one that is a simulation of a network backbone in the United States. It's one of those pickup and deliver games as they call them. So like you're connecting things and and moving things back and forth. It's really card driven. So it's unique in that aspect. I uh, would love to get that published, but that's got a lot of work to get to a, a more polished state. When you talk about a polished state, what does that mean? Where are you in the process of the game? Because it sounds like there's a design already put forth. Is that just a draft? What does it take to get to that final stage? 
let's take my uh, network design game. I have a whiteboard that is the playing board right now, and all the cards are on no cards. So it's in a real prototype state. That is so I can rapidly like prototype. So I just take this card out, throw it away, put in a new card. It's got a lot of a lot of aspects to it, so there's going to be a lot of uh, playtesting before I can get it to the point where I'm like, this is working. There's like the idea stage, and then there's the prototype and play with it stage. Part of the playtesting is I want to sit here and watch you play, and you tell me at the end what you thought. And playtesting can be like, play the whole game, tell me how you feel, or play this little bit of a scenario that I've built because I'm trying to work out an exact scenario that happens in the game. And... It's all about every time you play a test, get the feedback. That way you can start building that data points and say, all right, well, most people think this aspect is really fun and nobody has talked about this other aspect. So it's either not fun or it's working so well that nobody notices it. And then does it work is right after that. Is this going to be a functional thing? Mm -hmm. And then when you get to that point, then you can start polishing up, make it look pretty. Then either you're going to try to sell it to publishers or you're going to try to publish it yourself via crowdfunding or some sort. When people make things casually, they often gravitate towards writing or making music, singing, not designing games or making games, even though maybe that's an accessible form factor. What's the most casual way to get into making games? Do you have any advice and maybe even why someone should try it? Oh yeah, for sure. It's totally accessible. I designed the Meowie Catmus game. I had a prototype. I went from idea to prototype in like the span of 24 hours. And my wife and I were playing it on the kitchen table shortly thereafter. You can create a game that's fun with cards and all you need is some index cards or pieces of paper. And you can really play with it a lot and get it to a point that it's fun. And maybe you, you have a great idea. Yeah, I would say... Building a card game is probably like the quickest, easiest thing. I mean, you could always build a board game too if you have like a whole bunch of pieces and stuff laying around or you want to draw. My first prototype for Connected was on paper. Like I had like eight sheets of paper like taped together and I just drew the map on the paper and then started moving pieces around. It but, does uh, seem like there's some sort of learning curve or some sort of knowledge you should have about games or game mechanics even if you don't know what a game mechanic is it's kind of like you played uno and you vaguely know there's some sorts of actions you take is that yeah. something that poses a hurdle though for the casual game maker how could they overcome that or generate ideas well i think there's something to be said about not knowing anything going into something because you always hear about, oh, this is my first movie and it was a blockbuster hit. Or person just started painting one day and they were amazing at it. And you never know. Pick up some scraps of paper and make a game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe you have an awesome idea that's just waiting to be seen by others. Get it out there. I want to turn to games broadly. I don't know if you've observed sequentially anything about games. But if you have, how would you describe the evolution of gameplay or design over time? And have there been any trends or patterns? My youth in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of just roll the dice and move, like Candyland and Monopoly and these kind of games. And they're all similar. You're just moving your piece around and doing whatever happens. Then in the 90s, I think Catan hit and that kind of threw everybody for a loop. They're like, what is this? It was a heavily themed game with solid mechanics that people just started playing and it became fairly popular, at least in the hobby space at first. 
or created the hobby space, I would say, at least the, the modern hobby space. And uh, out of that, we get more and more theme in games as you go along. Now you have these huge games like Gloomhaven and Everdale and Wingspan and all these heavily themed games that have a lot of mechanics to them that work really well. And it's just very interesting. And I think that that is going to continue. There's going to be that huge like theming going on. I'm also saying on top of all that, there's a huge amount of people using IP to bolt on or incorporate into their game. So the villainous games are all based on Disney and then they added Marvel and now Star Wars and you get there's Jaws and Aliens and Back to the Future out there and all the nostalgia stuff as well. So the taking old IP and new IPs and continuing on. I guess as long as there's movies that people care about that need a board game theme. There have been four huge Dune games in the last couple of years. There's no stopping people, I don't think. I want to ask you specifically about predictions you have for role-playing games because that genre has blown up, I would say, in the last years mm -hmm. and actually entered more into the mainstream. I see even on Twitch, there are gamers streaming that, which you wouldn't have seen years ago going through role-playing games like Dungeons Dragons. So what predictions do you have for that category? So role-playing really shines when Stranger Things came out, right? Like people started, I, I think a whole new generation started learning about Dungeons Dragons. And then there's all this other stuff out there. We just played one a couple weeks ago, Alice is Missing. And that is, it's a one-shot role-playing game. It's kind of got some card-driven aspects to it. And it's very unique in how it plays because it plays over an hour and a half, I think, and you don't talk. There's no talking allowed in the game. It's all done through text on your phone. So you're just texting the people in the same room. As <laughs> Seems a little weird, but we gave it a shot and it was really interesting. And we came away from it a little introspective. <laughs> it was not, not what I'm used to with that game group that I have. It was just like, oh man, this is weird. We did a lot of stuff here. So I think... There's going to be a lot more of that kind of thing, like these like one-time play stuff. I, I think you play Alice is Missing a few times, but, you know, this kind of one scenario kind of situation that's heavily integrated into a certain aspect, like your phone. And there's also going to be a lot more like online from the pandemic. This is all residual from that, I think. You get a lot of people online streaming their role-playing. I play a weekly role-playing game online myself. It's probably going to see more of that. And there's other things out there, like there's a product called The Last Game Board, which is like a giant iPad, basically, that is touch-sensitive. And you can strap a ring on a miniature and put it on top of it, and all of a sudden you can have miniatures and your role-playing experience on this big board, someone can also be remote and playing the same game with you. Mm. And you can like pick up a miniature, move it, and they can see that happen on the other end. So th there's going to be a lot of like cool technology that are added to role-playing. I want to do a quick fire round where you fill in the blank and tell us a little bit about why you chose this. So the board game that is first the weirdest all right so i have one on my shelf called bacchus banquet and it's a weird one where you're trying to it's like 3780 i think and you're want to 
Caligula's parties and you're trying to bump off the other players, either A, through poisoning them or B, through feeding them to death. The bottom of the player mat is a belt and there's like a belt buckle on it that you use to count your life. It's a very odd game. When you play it, you're just like, this is strange. <laughs> or what do you think? Yeah, you're like trying to feed each other to death. It's a weird thing to do. Is it funny, the game? Oh, yeah, the game's pretty funny. There's a lot of like, all the characters are really drawn funny and stuff like that. Okay, because I was going to say, is it just weird and just kind of creepy? Or is there some sort of levity to that? It sounds like there is. Yeah, there's a little bit of levity to it. And then the board game that is, to you, most creative? Um, I would say Sleeping Gods is probably one of the most creative ones I've played in a while. It's, it's a total freeform, like, adventure game. So, like, you have, like, a book, a map book on the table, and you can go anywhere you want on this map book. And so you go sailing to the other island across the way, and that corresponds to something that you do there, and then... Whatever happens to you there will affect things that happen in other spots on the board. And they kind of track that in a real interesting way by, oh, you've gotten this artifact. And later on, if you have this artifact in your possession, then this happens. So it's, it's really in depth. It's really interesting. What about the most fulfilling? Uh, I really like to play Tesla versus Edison. I really scratches an itch for me. It's a game where you're building a, a company in the electrical current wars, as they call it. And so, you know, you're like Tesla, Edison, there was an expansion where you can be CJ Walker. You have all these characters from, from that era and you build your factory and your laboratory. And then on top of all that, you're playing the stock market against each other. So it's a big game and it's an interesting game. You learn a lot of stuff about researching light bulbs and AC and DC. At the end of it, you feel good that you've made all this stuff. That's actually pretty cool. You're like, oh, I'm an inventor. Yeah. Look at me. I invented the light bulb. And then finally, the greatest of all time, the goat. And I'd like for you to share, what do you think is the greatest of all-time non-super popular game let's call it indie but maybe it's just it's not that popular and then a fairly popular well-known goat game indie game the best indie game of all time what could that be i might lean towards tesla and edison on this one because i love that game so much and that's kind of an indie game mm -hmm. and then the most popular one there's Probably Gloomhaven is like conquered the world these days, especially now that Frosthaven's coming out. So that's a big, big game and it's super popular. You got all the miniatures and that's super fun. You can paint them. So it's kind of hobby-ish as well. I forget how long it is. It's, it's a long one. Final two questions I always ask to every guest on the podcast. The first is, what are your recommendations for tabletop games? Right now, I would say Fire Tower. That's a family favorite of ours. I recently played Citizen. I think that's a very interesting game and it's educational in a way. Another one I like is Fog Escape from Paradise. So trying to escape an island as the fog is coming through. So jumping over, pushing through and like kind of like a panicked crowd simulation. Last question. Zoom out. What's your reflection on the metaphor of life is a game? I think if you think of it backwards, like the other way around, you know, games are simulation of life. It's like, that's basically all these games we've been talking about. They simulate some aspect of life, whether it's current or futuristic kind of things, but there's some simulation in some aspect of life. And I think 
games help us learn about the world around us and how things work so that it gives you space to think and a space where you can make mistakes and there's not a big penalty. Like it's not, I'm going to go try to buy a house and oh, I messed that up. It's like, oh, I'm going to try to buy a house in this game and see how this works. And if I mess it up, then I can still eat tomorrow. This is great. It helps you like navigate how things work, how you interact with people. It can give you that space to perform things that might be inherently wrong or take on a role of somebody who's inherently wrong and then learn about the situation you're in. In that style, there's a lot of contextualization that needs to happen. You know, like you need to know why you're playing this person that's bad and what you're supposed to get out of it. But you learn, you learn. And then by playing all these games and learning all this stuff, you can take that back to the real world and then play life as a game and use the things you've learned from games to navigate through life. Love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, games are not just... You don't just learn about light bulbs, birds, medieval sabotage, but you learn a lot about <laughs> how humans interact and have a space for making mistakes and learning a lot of other parts about life. So cool. Thank you so much, Bert. Really appreciate it.